Welcome back to Who's Talking. He's written more than 200 books that have sold more than 400 million copies and produced enough bestsellers to make him the Guinness World Record holder. In fact, over the past decades, he's sold more books than Stephen King, David Baldacci, and John Grisham combined. And as he makes clear in his autobiography, James Patterson, The Stories of My Life, he has no intention of slowing down. I worked a lot on this question, Alex. <laughs> I so, deny it, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> are you always like this? Are you saying parents are wrong? Yes. Will you come back? Yeah, okay. of course I will. Welcome, James Patterson, and fasten your seatbelts, everybody, because this is going to be a bumpy Not ride. No, no, I don't think so. I think it'll be know. a very You've smooth been very ride. very since you came in the studio. <laughs> I want to start with your book, Empire, because several times in your autobiography, you note that you are the best-selling writer on earth. How important is that to you? No, it isn't. And why do you say it a couple of times? Uh, I don't. I don't remember saying, but I'm sure I did. But I, it, it isn't important to you know. One of the, the, the fortunate things for me is I grew up upstate New York, little town, Newburgh, New York. And a blessing that I have is that I still uh, see the world through the eyes of this kid from Newburgh, New York. So the idea that I'm here with you, uh, this is fun for me. This is a big deal. The idea that I've written books with you know President Clinton, et cetera. The idea that I've sold a lot of books. I, I'm not impressed with it. It's just, you know, I've sold a lot of books. So How what? do you explain it? Um, I, uh, I think mainly, I, I, am, I think I'm a good storyteller. I could tell a story about anything. And, um, and I think that's useful. I have a sense for, when I'm writing a book, I pretend there's somebody sitting across from me and I don't want them to get up till I finish the story. I think that's, that's, I think that's both my strength and my weakness. Strength because it, it, it does help me to sell a lot of books. Weakness because if I dug a little deeper at times and, and wasn't worried about holding the reader, uh, the books might be a little deeper. You say in your autobiography that you were a, a good student as a kid, but that if you got 97 on a test, your mom or your dad would say, 97? Yeah. Why not 100? You're, yeah. you're slipping, James. I bet you went through the same thing with your dad. Actually, <laughs> exactly the opposite, because I was okay. so neurotic about wanting to be the best in my class. My uh, parents actually kept saying, yeah, don't worry about okay. it. It's not All that right. big. Well, it's, you know, nice. but, you, but you write this yeah. in your book. The idea I had growing up, and I held on to it into my 40s, was that my folks only cared about me as long as I was number one in my class. One, that's a tough thing to write. Two, it must have been even a tougher thing to live. Yeah, it's probably an overstatement to say that, that the only reason they cared about me, but it was a big, it was a big thing, or it, that was my perception. And I did do, I did a year of therapy, which was great, which I mentioned in the book as well. And uh, that helped me to get past that. And, and not to blame my parents, but just to accept who they were um, and, and, and just move on with my life. In your book, you talk a bunch about Stephen King, who's written a few books himself. Yeah, and yeah, you yeah. mentioned the fact several times that he has called you, quote. Oh, a, I didn't mention that several times, only once. I'm that sure. he has called you a terrible writer. One time I only mentioned that. I'm not going to do that over and over and over again. Okay, but <laughs> yeah. here he is yeah. throwing shade at you on Stephen Colbert's show about how he writes versus how you write. 
Take a look. Oh, okay. All right. I think probably one, two, three drafts. It might be like 1,500 hours, something like that. But, you know, James Patterson does one in 12, 12 hours. Just 12 hours. And really? Actually, that's two books. So... <laughs> You can see. Uh, I think Stephen he's being Co- funny, and I and I and I get a kick out of that. That's great. But you know, the fact is, you've given as good as you've uh, as you've got. Uh, you have made no secret of the fact that you sell a lot more books than than Stephen That's King does. That's a publisher again. That's not me. They're the ones out there throwing all this stuff around. I, I don't know what it is to be honest with you. I, I like his books, and I kind of leave it at that. I like his most of his books a lot. You, he's, he's a good writer. Uh, he can be very funny. I think he was being funny with Colbert there. You also once wrote a novella. Uh, I did. <laughs> in which the characters, the villains in his book, plot the murder of Stephen King. Yes. Um, however, Stephen King was the hero of that book. He was the hero. And 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 you'll never get to read it because we we didn't publish it. Actually, I mean, the funny thing is, is his, my publisher, being polite people that they are, they said he's just written this little novella. So when I was writing these book shots were like 160 pages. And um, it's called The Murder of Stephen King. And his people went, oh, you can't do that, blah, 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 blah. Because, you know, at one point, Tabitha was threatened in, in the house. His wife. And, and Yeah, his wife. And I'm like, well, you know, that was because of his books. <laughs> so maybe he should stop writing books, you know. Um, but we did, we did, you know, get, we didn't publish the book. I have a hundred copies, which are going to be worth several million dollars at some point. Um, but, but he's a star in the book. He's a hero. And, um, I, I certainly meant him no harm and I, and I, I no harm here. I, I think he's a wonderful writer. Um, I, and I th- he's probably a, a very funny guy, you know, like me, two funny guys. <laughs> so let's talk about your process. Mm. You write a 50 to 80 page outline for every book you yeah. write in longhand and you put ideas for books in a folder with the word ideas on it. A clever title on the folder, yes. Absolutely. So where does an idea for a book come from? It can be anything. I mean, I can be sitting here and watch the cameraman and just something, something pops and I'll, I'll just write it down. And how many of those do you have in, a, in the, your folder? Hundreds and hundreds. <laughs> and do you occasionally pick one out and go, what the hell is I this? I do. I do. Well, no, I'll generally know what it is. It might be, it, sometimes it'll be years before I can actually connect a story that, you know, I'll go, well, I, I like that idea, but I don't know what to do with it. Um, and sometimes I'll, I'll sit there and I'll begin to outline three or four different concepts. And I go, okay, well, here's this one. Has, I have a story with this that I can, I, 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 can, I can tell a story. I know kind of where it's going. I got a beginning and an end. Somebody said, you know, you will, well, I, I'm gonna say it right here. You can make a lot of money if, if you write, can write beginnings and ends. If you write middles, you get the Nobel Prize. You know, nobody, nobody writes the middles. This brings us to the, to the biggest controversy about you and you know where I'm headed in this. And this is that you write these very detailed outlines, 50, to 80 page yeah. outlines, and then you hand it over to a co-author yeah. to write the rest of the book. And you may have- I don't think it's, I don't, I don't well, let find, me, let me just but I don't find question. it controversial. Well, I, I, you know, we got, we know where you're going. Okay, but, no, 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 but you may have 30 projects going at the same time. And, yeah. and I will say that in your autobiography, you seem a little def- defensive about the idea that there's a book the reader. I don't, I didn't mean it to be de- defensive, but maybe it is, it could be. I, um, look, 
part of the thing is if you if you think about like TV shows, it, invariably there's not not always, but almost always there's eight, nine, ten writers in a writers' room. Is there something wrong with that? And what is wrong with collaboration? No collaboration, no Sistine Chapel, uh, no no uh, 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 we, we, we still have COVID. So there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, with with collaboration, collaboration is a good thing. Um, so I object. Stephen King has written some collaborations. Uh, I happen to write a lot of collaborations. Not everything I do is a collaboration. In one year, uh, I wrote I don't remember the number, like twenty six hundred pages worth of outlines. And the outlines are a big deal. Uh, I, I had an agent at one point, and she said, "I can ta- I could take your outline and write a bestseller." So a lot of it, it's it's there. There's 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 the there's the idea, and and here's the story laid out: the beginning, the middle, the end. Every chapter, I would I'll have anywhere from a couple of lines to half a page on what what the scene is, what drives the scene, what's the core of the scene, why are we having this scene? Mike Connolly said about about what I do. He said that what Jim tries to do is every single scene drives both the characterization and the plot forward and turns on the movie projector in our heads. But why not write the whole book yourself and write fewer books? I mean, it's a choice. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but why don't you do that? It's wrong for me. Because I have all these ideas. I love, you know, having these things, see what happens with the book. I want, and I couldn't do that. I could, you know, I probably could do two a year, maybe three, I don't know, two a year, let's say. Uh, I, I, this is terrific. I love doing it. Uh, and obviously it's successful. And, uh, um, is, it, is it fair to say that you're more interested in plot and character and, than you are in all, all of the narrative? Um, I don't know how to separate plot, character, and narrative, but I will say that you know, there's certain kinds of books I would never, I mean, I'm not going to write a, uh, a Michener book. I'm not going to write a book that, that has, it's 800 pages and 400 pages is the history of the shell and how the Hawaiian Islands were formed. I, I'm, I'm not going to do that. But I, I, I can like books like that. I, I'm, any kind of book that I really like and understand, I will consider writing in that genre. I don't under, I, I think I understand love stories and I've written a couple I don't understand romance, and I'm not knocking it, but I don't, I don't understand it, so I would not try to write a romance novel. I could not write a, a novel about a general. I don't really understand how they think, how they talk. I, couldn't, I just couldn't do it. So there's certain kinds of books that, that I wouldn't. You mean a general in the military? Yeah, a general in the military, yes. I, I, I don't know how but to do But you write it. about presidents, you write about... Presidents I understand okay. What's the difference? Uh, I understand one. I don't understand the other. I just, I really don't, military talk, how to, I, I just don't, I don't get it. Why the short chapters? Well, I think a little of that comes from um, when, I, when I wrote the first um, Alice Cross novel, uh, Along Came a Spider. I think that was so long ago, I don't remember. And um, I said, I'm really going to really try to write a bestseller here. I, I know what I do well. I know what I don't do as well. I'm more comfortable writing first person. Uh, and, and what I did was I wrote about a 350-page outline. And, um, and I read it, and I said, this is the book. This is the book. And it wasn't totally because it, you know, I, I needed more, but this was basically the book. And... Um, 
my editor at one point, he said it was similar to what Bruce Springsteen did um, when he composed Nebraska. And he had done just this little guitar thing and he sort of let it, kept it around for a few months and he said, no, that's pretty much the album. I, I wanna do this very simple. So that's where the short chapters and that's where the colloquial storytelling came from. I'm just telling the story, the way we, you know, we all tell stories. And uh, um, if we wrote down a couple of stories and we know they work because everybody laughs or everybody is, you know, that couple of stories that we tell that we, that we, we know work. But if you wrote them down, there probably wouldn't be any spectacular sentences. Uh, but they work. And that's what this colloquial style, style of storytelling that I do, it's, that's, that's what it comes from. It's the way we tell stories to one another. If everybody wrote that way, it'd be a disaster. Uh, we wouldn't have, uh, you know, uh, um, War and Peace and a lot of wonderful books. Uh, but, but everybody does it right that way. You put out a nonfiction book this summer about Princess Diana and William yeah. and Harry. Mm -hmm. Why that subject, and was there anything in researching that story that surprised you? Um, yeah, I, what I wanted, I, the last thing the world, and I thought that the world needed was a book about Diana as a princess. I think we've done it, that we've done movies. But um, I, I started thinking about her and, and you know where she came, a nursery school teacher, and, and how important her boys were to her. And I said, really, it, what hasn't been written is the story of her as a mom. And I think that was very central to who she was. Um, I think that was the part of her marriage that worked ex extremely well. And, and, and the boys said, you know, a tribute to her, she said, they said she was the best mother in the world. And I don't think that's been written about. So that's what I wanted to write about. And that's what, and, and there, was a, there was a lot of research done in England, a lot of, I, a lot of things written that haven't been written here in the States. Um, and, and there are archives for, you know, that where the, the um, reporters and whatever, and they collect these stories. So, uh, but I just wanted primarily to write about the effect of the marriage and the crown on her as a mother, uh, the effect of all of that on the boys. And, um, you know, so it's, it's kind of a fresh, to me, it was a fresh approach to the, also my style of storytelling. It's just going to be scene after scene after scene after scene. In that book, you have some, in those scenes, imagined conversations where obviously mm -hmm. you weren't there, nobody is there. You're, it's what you think yeah. might have been said. Yeah, I learned that from Norman Mailer. <laughs> Norman took a lot, of, a lot of flack when he's writing Armies of the Nights, whatever, about that kind of thing where you're going to create uh, dialogue. And do you so, have any problems with that? No, obviously, because I did the book. I think it's fine. I, people know it. I, I, hopefully, they'll they'll understand that I that I wasn't in those rooms listening to the people. Some some of the dialogue in there is is totally accurate, and some of it is is just hopefully um, you know relates to what what people might have said. And some people will you go well, I, that's not what that's not the kind of nonfiction that I approve of or like. But and that's fine. They shouldn't read the book. You've had a number of books that have been turned into movies or TV shows. Not enough, not like Stephen King, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm glad to see, there's no ill, no yeah. bad blood between you and Stephen King. There isn't bad blood, because that's a joke. I there isn't understand, bad blood, but it's, you keep, it's just, yeah, because it's, it's fine. Joke, it's a, it's kidding it's on the fine. square. But it's in fine. any case, can I ask my damn question? Yeah, sure. Okay, so you've made a bunch of, uh, but not enough, of movies and, and, and TV shows out of your books. Yeah. Most famously, 
the detective, Alex Cross, in Here, Kiss the Girls. Take a look. You know, these women are more than just attractive. They're all extraordinary in some way. Smart, talented. Something tells me he ain't choosing them just for the congeniality. Ordinarily, they don't. But I think our guy's a little different. How so? I think killing's not his ulterior motive. This guy's a collector. I bet these women are alive. Whoa. That Morgan Freeman, huh? Huh? (laughs) Well, I happen to think that's pretty good, but you're pretty tough on Hollywood. You say that most of the adaptations they've done were not very good, and you tell a story in which when you first brought Alex Cross to Hollywood, their first note was, (laughs) make him white. And make him a white guy. Yeah. And and I, I walked away. They offered, and in those days, I didn't have a lot of money. They offered seven figures, and I said, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Uh, so you, Alex, though, as smart as he is, he's in the room with a couple of serial killers in that scene. You didn't even know it. So how smart is Alex Cross? <laughs> well, I, it's good drama. You know, yeah, it is. But, I mean, you really don't think that they've made good movies and TV? I yeah. think Morgan Freeman is great. So you get Morgan Freeman and you count your lucky stars. Um, I think those movies are okay. Um, and uh, I, I love movies. So you just want, you want to walk in there and go like, oh my God. And we're, we're actually, we're, uh, we're about to shoot um, Alice Cross for uh, one of your competitors. Uh, so we won't mention their name. But so I'm excited about that. I think the scripts are good and, and I'm hopeful. You've uh, gotten involved in a couple of controversies recently, and I want to ask you about oh, them. Oh, boo. You're, I love the eyes narrowing. No, they're not. That's what cats do when they're really happy. Their eyes go. <laughs> okay. You supposedly said that older white male writers have trouble finding work because of reverse racism. I didn't say I didn't say that. What did you say? I'll tell you what. Here, what, oh, what here, here was the interview. Okay. And um, a very nice reporter from the London Times up in my house. She brought up an issue in London at the time, which had to do with screenwriters and actors. Right. Um, and basically what I said was, it's hard being an artist. It really is hard. And it's hard being out of work, blah, 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 blah. And it wasn't about writers in the US. Uh, it wasn't, well, it, presumably it was about white uh, screenwriters and, and, and actors in England, but that's what it was about. And all I was trying to do, and unfortunately the word racist got into, and that's, that's the only problem. The problem isn't that you shouldn't, look, the world is changing and that's a good thing. Uh, Hollywood has wait, waited forever to do more with black and brown actors. They're still not doing much with brown actors in my opinion. Um, and I've been talking about that for 20 years. Uh, and, and, and the book industry could always have done better in terms of, of more diversity, both in terms of inside the company and companies and uh, in terms of the books that they put out. So I've always been for that, uh, but um, uh, and, and what this was about, what I was really trying to communicate is, look, the world is changing, and it's a good thing, and it's, but it's not a good thing to be you know, out of work. Uh, and then unfortunately that word got in there, uh, racism. Race. Race, yeah, and it's not racism, but, but and, that, and that's what, I apologize for that word more than anything else. And I don't mean that, and that's not the way I live, and you know, whatever. Um, Second issue. Yeah. Uh, 
you have denounced cancel culture and you even took your own publisher to task because they backed away from publishing Woody Allen's memoir. Yeah. The, the, the issue I had with, with the publisher in the Woody Allen book, uh, a bunch of the, the public relations people who had not read the book said, don't publish his book. Uh, and they hadn't read it. I did read the book. And if you read the book, you will find out that he was investigated twice, once by the police, mm-hmm. once by Yale University. And both of them said th- they didn't feel he had done anything wrong. Now, does that mean he didn't? I don't know. But it certainly means he should be allowed to tell a story. So that was all I was just saying. Like, I mean, one, read the damn book before you make you know come to your conclusion. If you read the book, at least for me, uh, I, 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 to me, yeah, he should be allowed to tell a story. There's also a different, very different part of the same issue. Bill yeah. Clinton, you worked on several projects with him. Here's what he had to say about you. Take a look. After we filled out the tree of the outline with which we started, he figured out four or five twists in the plot that the first time I read it, I said, God, that's good. I wish I had thought of it. <laughs> The man can talk. But when you went out on your first book tour with him, Mm. people, reporters, really went after him about Monica Lewinsky and Me Too. Uh uh Did you think they overdid it? Sure. Everybody overdoes stuff now. I mean, that's just the way of the world. And and the the trick is, I mean, it was one little issue with NBC. And what the president should have said when it came up he, uh, he was accused of never apologizing to Monica, which he had. So, so the reporter, in my opinion, was wrong anyway. He had apologized. And then, you know, I think what the president should have said is, look, it was a long time ago. I did apologize. I'm totally in favor of the Me Too movement. And I've, you know, since that time, I've done all these things with my foundation and just got off of it. And he didn't. And I think partly because he had apologized to her, and it, but he couldn't. He needed to back off of that, I thought. Um, and then, uh, you know, and, <laughs> you know, and I, I'm supposed to be his wingman. So I, the first thing I thought of was like, um, well, I can bring up Matt, Matt Lauer. I said, no, he won't like that. And that's not a good thing to do if we want to talk about it. And then I, uh, uh, I said, well, I'll just, I'll just step in front of camera and say, I got to go get a Coca-Cola. And if I say Coca-Cola, they wouldn't even be able to use that, that, uh, that take. Uh, and then I finally started talking about, well, let's go back through history. And, you know, and then finally we got off of it. Uh, and then and then it got picked up a lot. I mean, you know how this works. You say something uh, and, and it gets picked up more than it should. And and people need context. One of your passions is literacy, kids yeah. reading early. Mm-hmm. Why is that so important to you? And how many millions of dollars have you and well, your wife, look, Sue, contributed to literacy She doesn't program? distribute. She doesn't give any. She's tight. She, no. No, Sue's wonderful. <laughs> the, you know. <laughs> oh, my Lord. You, are you always like this, or did I just get you on a, no, this good, is a, a particularly good day? This, well, I don't know, good day, but uh, uh, yes, I'm always like this. The, uh, my mother was a teacher. That's a piece of it. Um, and... Um, uh, yeah, we had no money, in, not a lot of money in the house, and she taught in a Catholic school, and they paid her with, you know, change. It wasn't even enough to put paper money, you know. Um, and honestly, I mean, just one of the things, right now in this country, I think 40-some percent of kids read at grade level, and that's a disaster. And, and this isn't 
through me, but the University of Florida is working on a program. They have it. They can get it up to 80 percent. So we we have we have the vaccine. We just can't get the states to use it. And that's just such a tragedy because that means every year we don't use the vaccine. Thousands of kids basically will get lost. They will eventually, you know, because if you can't read, you know, if you're not a competent reader, you can't get through high school. You can't, you know, if, if college is appropriate, you can't go to college. So, so that's a big thing for me. If we can, if we can do stuff and, re- and literally save lives, this is, this is huge. So that's why we do a lot with, with literacy. And, and something that I, and I've copyrighted this, Chris, so you thinkeracy, which is, is just as important, which is in school teaching kids how to think. You know, it isn't necessarily that first impression. It isn't that, you know, what are you going to do after school? You know, typical kid, I don't know. Well, you know, let's see, you could play soccer. You could read a book. You could rob a liquor store. You could, you know, in other words, just get them thinking. Get past that first step and every day in school teach them how to think. I, I presumably at your house, people would teach you how to think because you had conversations and, and your parents were bright people and we had conversations in my house and we learned how to think. And a lot of people now, they don't, and, and especially, I mean, I think one of the things that troubles me lately is, is I've come to realize a lot of people cannot think for themselves, which is really an amazing, literally thousands and thousands of that. They need somebody to say, think this way. It's part of our politics. Millions isn't it? of people. Yes, it is. It's, it's, it's massive. Incidentally, and, I mean, to this whole issue, and you, you brought my family, the dinner table. I mean, how important is it for the parents yeah. and the family to sit yeah. around the dinner table at McDonald's? And, <laughs> no, no, at I home know, and sit and discuss. And yeah. you know, what was your day? How was your day? What yeah. was good? What was bad? Yeah, and that everything flows from. No, that. it's huge. Yes, absolutely. It's it, it, whether it's a dinner table, but getting together and talking and challenging in good ways and getting the kids to think without putting them down without, you don't have to do that, but you can just get them thinking. And it also keeps the parents alive, keeps them thinking if, if, you're, if you're really, you know, with your kids, because your kids, will, they'll, they'll challenge you. And it's great. Also reading and reading James Patterson books. James, thank you. Thank <laughs> you so much. You're welcome. You're welcome. James Patterson says he's a working class storyteller who writes at least 350 days a year. This Halloween, he returns to the character who made him famous, with the release of Triple Cross, the next installment of his Alex Cross thrillers. Thanks for watching. Catch us every Sunday night on CNN and keep streaming anytime you want right here on HBO Max to find out who's talking next. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country. Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash call me country. Max subscription required.